Welcome to the Deeper Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead creator of Deeper Into Movies. We are a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today on the podcast, I am super stoked. We finally have John Wilson on the pod. I've been trying to get him on the pod for the first two seasons of his show. Everyone's been DMing me, telling me to get him. I've been trying, goddammit, and it finally paid off. And we've got him just before the final episode of How To of John Wilson Season 3. He's wrapping up the show, and this is a great time to talk about the show as a whole, looking back, and it just feels more monumental, which is a vibe. If you haven't seen How To with John Wilson, I urge you to. The first two series are on BBC, or if you're in the States, HBO. And each episode, John poses a question or goes on a quest. And it's always something really small and interesting. How to make small talk. How to improve your memory. How to split the check. There's an incredible episode in the new series about using public bathrooms. It's just fantastic. And he's such an odd and unique character. His show is really hard to explain. Just watch an episode and within five minutes, you're probably going to fall in love with it. John is also here to talk about the new documentary he's produced called Carpet Cowboys which is about the carpet industry in America. It's a very John Wilson subject. That documentary is also excellent. And that's it. Let's just jump into it. This is me with the great documentarian, John Wilson. Hey, how are you? Hey, good. What's up? I'm good. Good background. But... <laughs> um, so I have a better mic that if that works. If it's easy to plug in, go ahead. But if not, yeah, it's already plugged in. Great. Okay. Um, oh, way better. Okay, cool. Are the levels I think... okay? Um, you're a little quiet. If you can, if you can. Crank it up a little bit. The mixer I have is like... There you go. I think it was just uh, direction. Oh, okay. Okay. Let's try to stay close to it. Okay. Let's start at the beginning. What kind of teenager were you? What did you grow up watching? What kind of movies and documentaries had a big hit on you? Um, When I was growing up, I feel like I watched a lot of what other people watched. Um, but you know, I, I would, I would get into just different filmmakers like, you know, Terry Gilliam and like Herzog and stuff like that. And, um, I would just kind of go through their filmographies and, you know, 
just studied what I felt like I should study. Um, but I didn't really get into nonfiction as much until college uh, when I realized that that was a much more sustainable way to make low budget uh, pictures because everything looks the way that it's supposed to look. Um, even if you're doing it for no money, you know? Yeah. You're just documenting reality. So there's no yeah, you know, set it, design, it, so to speak, or anything like yeah. that. And you don't got to ask any favors of anyone, really. Um, you can kind of just be a one-man band. What were the documentaries that you started discovering? Um, well, I think that there was... I mean, I got I got into I, I it was a bit of an experimental film program um, at um, in SUNY Binghamton. Um, so there were a couple of documentaries like Metal and Melancholy was a nice one. I remember it was kind of a, all about cab drivers. And um, then I, I, I also just kind of got into a lot of George Kuchar stuff Um you know, and he's got a big filmography, but I, the stuff that really spoke to me was his his kind of video diary films. And, um, you know, there's also the Jonas Mika stuff um, like that that he did. And um, also I'm trying to think of what else, you know, like uh, David Holzman's diary was like a really big one for me. Mm hmm. Um, just because it was just such a cool portrait of of this this guy's little corner of the city and and um I didn't I didn't really um I only after that did I realize you know what what the potential for kind of personal essay films could be and you know stuff like uh what's it called the uh you know Sherman's March you know I feel like a lot of people watch yeah um so stuff like that Holzman's Diary was great. I only discovered it a couple of years ago when um, Joe Swanberg recommended it to me. Oh, yeah. It hadn't been on my radar before that. Yeah, one of my favorite parts of, of uh, Holzman's Diary is when he's just showing you, you know, one frame every 30 seconds or something yeah. of, of, of the TV broadcast and just kind of talking over it. I thought that was just such a cool... Um, like a uh, bit of visual material to 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 narrate over and a nice time capsule you know and and uh, and i i feel like that's stuff like that is is always always good to kind of you know anchor your work in a very specific time without being too obnoxious about it did you go to film school uh yeah yeah um yeah i, I did i i i i spent four years at a at the cinema program um, at SUNY Binghamton. Um, it, you know, it was a small kind of experimental film program. And, uh, you know, it was started by Ken Jacobs. And um, I just really, it, 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 it had a way of like, of uh, making me think a lot deeper about what I was doing. Otherwise, I think I would have tried to make more kind of narrative comedic stuff and, and I'm, I'm really glad that the program beat that out of me <laughs> what's the movie you 
make that sorry it's in season two i'm blanking on the name the you have the dvd that you put in a safe was that during your time there yeah that movie was called jingleberry yes I, I, i think that was one of the last attempts of mine to make a um you know something a bit more narrative but i i i think you know that was conceived of like around sophomore year of high school and it just kind of extended into the you know freshman year of college um is when we were finishing it so uh yeah that that was a disaster um but also had a way of um kind of i I then realized what i that i didn't want to do that you know any yeah i i we program films now and people always ask me do i make films and i i've got free from university on mini dv tapes which i kind of never want to watch ever again or even yeah go back to i don't know yeah it's i i i think the only thing i can i can stomach from from my early college era is this short documentary i made about balloon fetishists um that i i still really like um which i'm also i i'm screening at anthology currently um as as part of this larger program our one documentary we tried to experiment experiment with my friend going 72 hours without sleep and weirdly we we quickly kind of realized during the thing he, he was a really strange guy and super um he had a certain way of thinking about things he was an editor so he's very matter of fact about things and very precise and he was basically unwavered for the whole 72 hours we we were taking like 24 hour shifts filming him and slowly going insane and having to wake up at like 3 a.m and charge the batteries and get going again and he was completely unfazed with the whole thing so it was it was almost like it was rigged he was just like too strong-minded to even be affected and we were trying to provoke him or like give us some content or some juicy scenes for god's sake we're going crazy and he just kept it together for the whole shoot so (laughs) so when you left uni when did you start gaining work were you shooting were you working nine to fives or um right after i graduated from college i ended up moving to uh Cambridge in Massachusetts and uh living with a high school friend of mine um this guy Chris Maggio that you know I I would I would co-direct movies with and um you know we made little things here and there but I I mean one of my first jobs was working for a private investigator um just editing their video content um, I would have to travel for 90 minutes, you know, each way down to this, like on the commuter rail down to this little, um, like suburban, suburban town in Massachusetts called Hanson. And I would just go in there and I would, I would look at all of the footage that the private investigator shot. And then I would trim it down to the most incriminating moments, so I, I kind of developed an eye for, for uh, you know, for stuff like that. And, but I was also working as a school portrait photographer. 
so I would drive my car all around Massachusetts and and photograph, you know, middle school and high school kids um, just on their photo day. So I was that clown that that, you know, that held up little toys and stuff and tried to get kids to smile. Um, and that was really strange. So, yeah, a lot of really odd jobs, but um, I didn't really want to get too deep into the actual film industry because I didn't, I didn't want to have to work my way up from, you know, from like, uh, on like the kind of the normal ladder, I guess. Sure. Uh, yeah. Just cause I, I kind of, I saw, I, 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 I could just see people getting trapped within the system, like mm-hmm. at, at a very specific kind of level, you know, whatever they they specialized in they would kind of sometimes stick there for a while not saying that people don't move beyond that but i i, I just didn't want to get trapped in there I, I i i wanted to just do a bunch of other random stuff and just develop my own technique and you know in the background what kind of shit were you seeing on the private investigator tapes it feels almost like a john wilson film the wall waiting to happen <laughs> um, or, or, or was it really yeah it was pretty dry. Stuff. Oh man. Yeah, almost yeah, like bone dry. It was it was a lot of uh you know, it wasn't very salacious. It was a lot of uh you know, in, insurance fraud stuff. So it would it would be people, you know, kind of in a wheelchair, but then they get up and, you know, play uh tennis or something, you know. Right. Uh and then get back in the wheelchair. Um and that's pretty much it. But I would just have to kind of watch them do this really banal stuff just for days and days on end. And um, it kind of radicalized me in, in in one way or another because I just really liked watching people from a certain distance um, because even the most boring stuff, you know, there were these in- interesting little moments that I would then kind of collect myself and just have my own little archive of interesting images or or kind of poetic little moments um, and just show them to my friends. I didn't really do anything with it. Um, but they also had a bunch of cool uh, spy cameras that they would, uh, they had, you know, they had a bunch of spy cameras and they uh, would break sometimes. And when they threw them out, I would just kind of take them and tinker with them and, and, and uh, use them for my own stuff uh, just around the city, just experimenting. That's so cool. So it was kind of a how-to origin there with the people watching. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. But I was also just, I had a lot of downtime during that job waiting for new material to come in from the the PIs. So I would just kind of, I would watch as much, watch as many movies as I, mm-hmm. I possibly could. And, you know, I, I, I felt like my education wasn't wasn't even close to being over with that stuff. So uh, you know, there there was a lot of stuff going on there. That kind of reminds me of when Eric Wareheim told me that he used to be a wedding videographer. Yeah, and I I I always want to see those tapes. I was just imagining him like zooming really deeply into people's faces while they're eating or awkward wedding dances and stuff. I really imagine that the <laughs> yeah, it's Tim and Eric vision of a wedding or something like. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing that that like happens like you know because i was i was also you know filming like infomercials for a while like really kind of bottom of the barrel stuff and 
you know, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're given this direction from your boss and you're forced to shoot everything a very specific way. And, you know, it, it, it just kind of, it makes you feel kind of paralyzed in a way because you want to do all this other crazy stuff with the, with the material you want, you want to shoot it like in your own way, but you're not allowed to. So I think that then like, you know, that, that then like begins to, to, to affect the way that, that your, your own stuff looks, you know, and I I could see, yeah, I could see Eric, like, yeah, it, it, it kind of, like turning his personal work into something a bit more extreme i guess if you're just seeing the world that way you just can't help it but i suppose that's why yeah i mean i i definitely had a a few you know when i when i would try to do freelance stuff just miscellaneous freelance stuff through my 20s i i you know my sometimes my clients would get really upset when i tried to shoot things in 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 a way that i liked you know like with you know all handheld and kind of uh you know shaky stuff and they would look at a cut and refuse to pay me or something like that you know so i i you know it's 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 funny how subjective that kind of stuff is there's a really funny note at the big beginning of temporary color where you show that email from uh your boss saying (laughs) he says something like you refuse to work in the perimeters of the shoot and we're not gonna work with you again yeah i think that was that that was the last time i i worked within the fashion industry (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i think you know they they obviously have a very specific kind of glossy uh sexy way of shooting things and i don't think they really they don't think they really took to my 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 perspective but uh, yeah, you know, it, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm glad that happened. How did the David Byrne doc come about? Because obviously v- there's a bigger documentary shoot happening within the your documentary. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was wondering how you got the gig and fit into that mix. Um. So Bill and Turner Ross are, are actually old friends of mine. Um. And they were the ones that were making the other doc in that short that I made. So, you know, I, I, I kind of, uh, Oh, are they the bloody nose guys? Yeah. 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 Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I've seen, I've seen their work. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 I, I the, the stuff is great. Um, but yeah, we've known each other for a while and, and, um, they actually personally asked me to, to tag along and got, approval from david I, I don't really think david knew what i was doing there and i think he barely even saw me when i was shooting stuff um so you know when, when i i mean in in my movie bill and turner are kind of my you know nemesis in a way but it you know it's all like you know it's it, it's all just kind of a, a bit of a bit of a joke and you know we're actually close uh in real life but uh i don't think david really understood what was happening until i finished the movie and um and showed it to a few people and he ended up really liking it and you know putting it on the dvd for for uh his performance that he released and oh that's so cool um yeah and then then we kind of like 
formed a relationship after that. And I would, I would, I did a bunch of video work for David just for little projects that he had here and there. And, um, you know, we just like, we touch base every now and then and, um, just kind of do events together and stuff. So yeah, it was, it, it, it kind of, it, yeah, I did not get personally invited by David to begin with, but it ended up starting a relationship. That's great. Doesn't Kaveh have a really funny, well, Kaveh's got a funny story for every celebrity encounter, but I'm sure there's one where he kept on trying to get David's attention and he gave him a VHS and then David was like, I'm living in Paris, I can't support NTSC. So then he gave him a PAL and he's like, I'm in New York, I can't support PAL. <laughs> then he gives him a, tries to give him a DVD and says, I haven't got a DVD drive on my laptop. And Kaveh's <laughs> just keep on trying to come back to him with different formats of tape every time to get his attention i think he had like his own cave version of stop making sense or something in <laughs> yeah cave is a, a a tragic figure in that way we just screened his um getting stoned with matt healy from the 1975 oh yeah we, we screened that and it, I, it it was really funny i was like we had like 10 percent, you know show about the show heads and the rest were just teenage teenagers wanting to watch the 1975 and i was like this is gonna be really interesting just to watch them have this long deep meta conversation about art and creativity but they seem to dig it yeah yeah that series is funny i he asked me to do it a, a while ago but then i kind of dropped the ball and then COVID happened and it never picked back up alex ross perry's one is my favorite because alex is just not oh yeah I don't think yeah. Alex gets stoned. I think it's just coffee, <laughs> and then he's yeah. sincerely just very Alex about it. Like, what did you want? What did you want to get out of this interview, Carve? Just let me know so we can please go somewhere with it. And <laughs> Carve is just doing bong hits and hasn't really got much of a, you know, an agenda or a idea of where it's going. But it it, it made for a really good awkward. Video. Yeah, totally. And I love. Were you shooting with that? I think we had the same the Sony PC one twenty. Was that your camera on that, David Byrne? Oh yeah, the um, yeah, it's like the DCR Pocket PC nine. Yes, um, yeah, that that is. I, I love that era of cameras. That was incredible. Yeah, it's the best. It's got a great zoom. It's uh, you can treat it like shit, and it's got a nice night vision. So um, yeah you know yeah that that I, I i'm still shooting on that now i mean that's that's the camera that i carry around every day now still i fucking love it anytime we were when i was filming my student stuff and it was like can we film here like, no and it's like i'm gonna come back around in half an hour and it's gonna be in my pocket and no one's gonna know so yeah that was great i think chris cunningham used that so that was kind of like oh really w when you find out who your guitar heroes are and you try and buy the same guitar <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was like that with my camcorder and then you kind of like these don't look like Apex Twin music videos. What's going on? But it was oh, still cool. fun. And I loved the the night visions. Incredible. All the, all the green was so good. Yeah, totally.
This episode is brought to you by Mubi. Mubi is a great streaming platform dedicated to bringing you the best in cinema. I've been a Mubi subscriber for years and I love doing this. I'm going to dig in to the Mubi UK platform and pick you out three fantastic movies to watch. Here we go. Shiver Baby from our buddies Emma Seligman and the great Rachel Senna. This is the most stressful movie about a family gathering ever. It's so masterfully made and just gets tighter and more stressful as you watch. What a debut. That's my number one. Once Upon a Time in America by the great Sergio Leone. Classic gangster movie with De Niro and James Woods. So I've seen this years ago. It's finally been restored to its full glorious 229 minutes. So that's 10 minutes shy of four hours. I've been meaning to see this on the big screen. Me and Ali from the team keep making plans to go see it. And then one of us doesn't have four hours free on the day to catch the movie. So, I think I'll do it on movie. Um, yeah, just a life-spanning crime epic. Also, I recently bought the wonderful Eno Morricone soundtrack, which is probably my favorite Morricone. So, that's highest recommendation right there. Okay, I haven't seen this, but I love all Yagos Lantimos' previous movies, and I'm super stoked for his new movie. They've got a short film on the channel called Nimic. It's 12 minutes. I see that's Matt Dillon in it. So, yeah, I'm going to go for that. I love short films. Let's do that one as our third one. And that's good because I just recommended you a four-hour movie. So I'm going easy on you with a 12-minute movie. And here's the good bit. You can watch all these movies and more for free. Just go to movie.com slash deeper into movies for 30 days of great movies for free. That's movie.com slash deeper into movies. In How To, on your introductions and your narration, you're talking about what's going on, but the footage you are editing with is so fucking smart and funny. From like when you're talking about the, you wanted to be a, a sports fan and you've got that footage of the, you say, I don't know what team to support and you cut and you've got that slab that just says Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> or you're talking about how cleaning your ears the safe way and you cut to that footage of a guy who's like 20 stories up cleaning a window on a ledge yeah how is the process of assembling the introduction to the footage it's so 
fantastically cut together and kind of plays on what you're talking about and stuff. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it's, uh, we, we hit it from a few different directions. Um, because, you know, I look at all my footage and then I look at all the footage that the second unit people shoot and so do the editors. So I basically have these, uh, sequences where, you know, I will, as I'm looking through the footage, I will put like things that would be good for certain episodes in the, um, like in, in different sequences. Like, so for how to watch the game, anything that might, you know, be good for sports related stuff, you know, stuff that is like specifically for each episode. So like the Yankees, you know, the misspelled Yankees graffiti, mm-hmm. uh, obviously I think, I think it would be, I thought it would be funny to put in there. Um, but then I just have this kind of like larger, like master sequence of every single piece of B-roll that I like at, you know, like from beginning to end. And I just like power scan through that whenever I have writer's block and I will just like, I, I will look for patterns within it and then try to put different pieces of footage together that might kind of rhyme with each other or, you know, have like some kind of weird relationship. Um, but I mean, I, I have like a, a script that I wrote at the very beginning that I'm always referencing and trying to marry some images to that, that might kind of like resemble what I initially thought of, but every episode is rewritten from the ground up by the time the, you know, the edit is finished. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of cool because, because we have, we have these big set pieces within the edit, like the big interviews usually. Mm-hmm. And then everything in between is fair game and you can just kind of do whatever you want. So it's up to the editors and myself to just like create these test out little sequences that might be funny um, that, kind of that create these transitional moments that get us from one idea to another and that's very free form and and that's where a lot of the experimentation happens and how long does it take on average for an episode to come together i mean it could be it's hard to say because because post-production starts like right as we start shooting they just start and you know like the editors start looking through all the material mm-hmm. as I'm shooting it. So, I mean, it could be anywhere from six to eight months to do an episode, I guess, editing. Like we don't like, it's hard to say because the, the editing, writing and shooting is all happening simultaneously. So it all has to kind of play off one another. So like basically the length of the production, which could be like eight months to a year. Um, is is like it's all happening within that somewhere. And for your B roll shooters, do you give them any briefs, or do you do you just let them loose on the street, picking up people watching and picking up strange and interesting moments? Um, so like based off the original scripts for each episode, I I, I kind of have a scavenger hunt list with things that are relevant to each topic, like whether it's 
you know, bottles of pee on the street or, um, you know, people wearing sports memorabilia or, uh, you know, birds in trees for, you know, a bird watching episode. And then they start to harvest all that material just on the street. Um, but then I give them complete freedom to, to shoot, you know, obviously anything that they find interesting or funny. And they're usually just put into a random neighborhood in New York um, and asked to walk around all day um, just trying to find stuff that they think is cool, like any awnings or interesting arrangements of trash or something like that. And, um, you know, like, but they can always fall back on the scavenger hunt list if they ever get um, bored or something like that. But um, yeah, or houses that look like faces or something like that. And how how is it being shooting people on the street? Do you ever get hassled? Do ever people realize who you are or what you're doing? Or they're like, oh shit, now we're going to, I've done something weird and I'm going to be on how to, <laughs> like he's called me picking my nose or something like that. Um, that, I don't know. It's, I haven't really personally experienced that much because like, you know, you're shooting from a certain distance and then one of my field producers will go and, and do the release conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's any, you know, but that, but, but sometimes I'll just kind of walk up and, and introduce myself afterwards. And, uh, you know, during the third season, it actually became easier to get releases in a weird way because people were familiar with the show and I, I think could understand contextually, you know, even in a vague way. Like, yeah. How, like, how do you, like, how do you pitch it to a average person who like, I've just seen you talking on your phone or something and I want to include you. Do they ever want to know the context or are they kind of thinking you, are you trying to take the piss out of me on my phone call or is it, I, th- I think like, yeah. So there's like, um, you know, if, if there's like footage of, it's hard to say it's because it, every, you, you know, you never really know fully how everything's going to be used. But I, I, I think that I think people, when they hear it's for how to, I, I, I think they, they understand that there's like, like, there's kind of an absurdity to it and, 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 and the joke will most likely be on me or the viewer, you know, like ultimately the the way that it's crafted within the story. Um, and like, I don't know. I mean, it, it, usually it's, it's, it's something for like, if someone is watching a bird, you know, it's just like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm making an episode about bird watching, you know, or if people are, like yeah looking up into the sky you could say the same thing um but yeah it's it's hard to generalize but like i i have no problem saying exactly what i think it's going to be for in the moment because it's usually pretty innocuous and i think remains that way and so every episode poses a question or a task i was wondering how do you land on your specific topics for each episode or and also how long does it take for you to punch it up to to think yeah this we can fully build an episode around this topic because sometimes they're as small as you know how to dispose of batteries and things like that i was wondering how you right yeah i guess 
at the, at the beginning of, uh, of each season, I have all the titles written and we just kind of, and, and you know, my, my selection process is just based off of, um, you know, like what doesn't have an easy answer and, you know, what can we pry open and, you know, is there kind of a galaxy within it of, of, of misinterpretations or, or, or different ways to get it wrong. Um, and you know, what seems like a genuinely impossible problem to solve. Um, that, that I think that's what initially inspires me. And then we just kind of like, just work on the episode from there. It's, it's like, yeah, each, each episode is a little different, but I always do enter this crisis mode, um, you know, midway through each episode where I don't have a central character. I don't have an event that I, I, I'm excited about. I don't know like how to save each episode and I turn into an emotional wreck and then miraculously the universe just like delivers this stuff a lot of the time. And it just, just by like the, like just the process of, 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 of saying yes to everything and, and, and having the resources to travel to Arizona, to travel to burning man or whatever um like that ends up like creating the show somehow even though it it it, it all feels very disparate in 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 the moment when you're shooting it but then like you know I, I think i always have the luxury of being able to inject it with the memoir material which mm-hmm. adds like which acts as like a nice adhesive to everything that may not have like made as much sense separately before yeah, I was every every week when I tune in. I'm always excited to see what the how to is. But mm-hmm. my God, the the public bathroom! I was so excited. I was like, finally! Yeah, it, it seems such a John Wilson topic, but that 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 oh, it paid <laughs> off so well. It's such a also sadly my my go to favorite bathroom in central London has they've re- renovated the store and it's gone now. But that was my. Oh, damn. secret go-to spot so i was like this is this is very poignant <laughs> for me right now to... <laughs> yeah i'm surprised <laughs> it took us three seasons to to make the episode about bathrooms um <laughs> but yeah i i i, I didn't want to put my personal favorite bathrooms to go to in the episode no this is what i'm not saying so, yeah i, I i'd rarely revealed to I, I think like two friends knew my, where my favorite yeah, yeah, bathroom exactly. was so you don't want to hot up the spot <laughs> you know you don't wanna, yeah you don't want to commercialize your toilet and get it into the mainstream conscious yeah and the other episode i briefly want to talk about which scaffolding which mm-hmm. has haunted me and changed my perspective of every city i go to ever <laughs> since I, I i think ion pack said this as well but it's just you can't look at the city the same way again yeah after re- re- realizing that it's just everything's just in constant in some form of constant decay or eroding and yeah i just get even more i'm already an anxious person but you just get even more spooked walking under those yeah temp- are, is there a lot of scaffolding in london i've never been there everywhere Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, exactly like your episode on New York. It's just... Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I... I, I, One one thing I did not get to touch on in the episode is is that, like... I mean, there's a lot of scaffolding in New York because of facade inspection, but 
other cities don't have that problem as much because like they use drones to inspect the facades of mm-hmm. buildings and, you know, take, take kind of a map of, of, of what's loose um, with drones, but you, you, there are very strict drone laws in New York city. So they like are, have to do it like physically with, with a bunch of scaffolding, you know, which happens every 10 or 15 years um, for each, each big building. Um, and I was, I wasn't sure what the drone laws were like in, in uh, England. We just seem to be having, well, all the cool independent restaurants and stores are getting wiped out every day. And the other weird thing that keeps on happening is we get these little mini apartment blocks built and they always have a Tesco underneath them. There seems to be some sort of Mm. evil corporation between going on between the supermarkets and the um apartment blocks that they always build a little mm. convenience a, a little mini supermarket underneath which is popping up everywhere but yeah scaffolding everywhere and also i, I i've started wondering when when you see the giant skyscrapers and they have uh fabric wrapped around them mm. i have no idea how they get the fabric wrapped around the entire building like that when it's like 30 floors. I don't know if, it, do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. There's that, yeah. that weird kind of mesh material they wrap around the entire building. I know. It's like a. And I just spent way too long trying to work out how this is done. Uh, yeah. It's, it seems like a, like a Christo sculpture or. You yes. Know. <laughs> it's like, do, do they just like drop it, <laughs> is it from, from a helicopter or something? I don't know. I, I haven't got a logical explanation as to how, <laughs> how it's working out the time lapse or yeah i wonder if there's some kind of uh trade magazine that where we could watch it from the beginning and get yeah i just kind of go is there a form is there a foreman in this building i've got questions like yeah like how do you wrap stuff around the building (laughs) and wow the hoover convention what a beautiful thing that is i love that so much it was so wholesome it was really pure and those guys were so sweet and I just, I don't know. Yeah. The, just the vacuums were just so beautiful. And, and I'm just so glad that, that they were, that, you know, that they, that they let me film there because that, that the massive Hoover vacuum uh, that they had was just one of the most beautiful objects I've ever. Was that seen. an official Hoover or was that custom? That was official. That was, wow. that was like a vintage prop for some convention that Hoover was having that they uh that one of them bought or acquired somehow and uh traveled with it and I just I'm just it's so funny and cool that they just brought that in a minivan you know just 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 for this like small group of you yeah know, I love it. everyone's flexing guys. and bringing out their the big guns in their Hoover collections and stuff it was so cool and it works the big one works like, yeah uh, yeah it actually sucks up stuff which is like even more impressive and i love the teenage kid i was that he was so great yeah yeah he was there with and, his mom um, that was so cool that gives me hope for the future in the age of tiktok and everyone just you know being glued to their phones all day his kids just into vacuum cleaners yeah and he yeah and he like it, it's it's it seems like yeah just despite how like like 
he's perceived in school because of it. You know, he's still very much into it and he has so many vacuums at home and um, yeah, it was just, I, I don't know how you become obsessed with something like that at such a young age, but you know, he's like, maybe he's very mechanically minded, you know, and he just likes to tinker with that kind of stuff. Yeah, because he didn't kind of seem shy or kind of closet about it. He was like, I just think it's fucking cool. I'm really into it. Yeah, yeah. Which was great. And the merch was sick. Those t-shirts that everyone had. I was like... I know, I got a few of them. Oh, I was Uh, so jealous. I was like, (laughs) A24 hasn't got shit on the Hoover convention. These guys' merch is just... Exactly. Incredible. And that guy's shirt, what is he like? Bring back asbestos? I know, yeah. We need we need to we need to press a line of those. You need to yeah, the John Wilson who who's a collab <laughs> needs to happen. It's I would fantastic. yeah, I would love that. Yeah, I don't know what the yeah, what what the legality of, of any merch from the show would be. I would love to just make some shirts of anything. Yeah, that was so good. And this is a this is perfect segue to Carpet Cowboys. Oh sure. Oh yeah, Seamle- yeah. Seamless so, trans seamless transition. When did you see the documentary and what made you want to come on board and EP this? Um, I feel like I saw the documentary a little over a year ago. Um, it was a rough cut. Uh, a, f- a friend invited me to a screening at Union Docks uh, in Williamsburg. And um, they just said it was a documentary about the carpet industry. And, you know, I... I was excited about it kind of immediately and um, I go there and watch it and it, it just has, yeah, such great characters and these like really funny kind of surreal moments within it. And um, you know, I just, I, I, I love when documentarians uh, you know, like Noah and Emily, like when they, um, I love when documentarians just like follow a story as it's actively happening and not telling a story that's already been told in a way. Um, So yeah, it just had a lot of promise, especially for first time feature filmmakers. Um, It it, it felt kind of very mature and um, yeah, but, but it needed a bit of editing work. I think there was just like, I could tell that everything was there that they needed, but it just needed some reordering and some, some trimming. So I kind of just called them up and told them that I would, I would um, sit down with them in the edit, just, you know, for free, just no credit involved. Um, And just workshop the edit because like puzzling stuff like that is one of my favorite things to do. You know, if you, if you just know that it's all there, but you know, you just have to change around a few Mm -hmm. things. Um, and then, yeah, and then they asked me to come on as EP, and I said, yeah. And then, uh, you know, they finished it. It came out really good. Yeah, instantly, when, when I got sent it, I was like, this is going to be good because it's rooted in such a small, specific thing mm-hmm. that it's always a great, and you know it's going to expand from there, but. Similar to when I was pitched to go see the doc, the doc on Helvetica, and I was like, I'm going to watch a doc about font. Yeah. And right. I was like, that's actually going to be fucking great. Anyone who's gone that deep into something so specific, I think it's going to be really interesting. And then it just opens up a whole 
similar to your work, it just opens up from a small subject to something you've never considered or given the time of day to see how it's come about. And then, like, of course, the carpet world is a billion-dollar industry. Yeah. But it's kind of like like the the guy says it in the... Doc, what's that amazing line where he's like, carpet is the the ground and the dirt that all art is built on or something. Yeah, and all, yeah, yeah, that's a great line. And then, like, you know, about that other line about how the money's on the ground or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that, that's, that's what's so cool about, you know, something as specific as, as, as carpets here, where it's like, like the, 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 the more specific you are with the subject matter um, and kind of niche, I, I think that the kind of more illuminating, like it can be for like larger societal or economic things. And, you know, because, because if you start small, it's, it's really cool. The farther you zoom out from there, but you know, if you start too big, it's, 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 it's kind of hard to, to, to kind of zoom out much farther, you know? So I, I really like like starting on something as small as this. I, I love the old, the father and son carpet store. We've even just oh, their yeah. layout, their, 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 their layouts and their displays where they kind of, pull the fabric down and he's just like got a little patch and he's like check out this it's my favorite <laughs> yeah and stuff yeah and but yeah it's kind of beautiful because i it's i i see a lot of those kind of places in your shows like for hoover repair guy and things like that it's kind of a those great kind of mom and pop shops where they just do one specific thing they, they do one service and they just do it really well yeah Seems to be really Kind of like the guys at New York Nico celebrates and stuff, but like, sure, just have those small stores that just do something really well. Yeah, it was just yeah, it was funny. I was like shooting the 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 vacuum guys, um, like while I was like kind of working on the the kind of like when I first started working on the carpet thing. So it was like very much like perfect, you know, yeah, perfect union there. So this is going to be the last series of how to, is that right? Uh, yeah. Um, this is the final season, but I, you know, I have ideas for a slightly just kind of mutated version of everything. Um, but yeah, and this in 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 this version of it, yeah. What made you want to call it quits on the season? Um. Well, kind of after every season, HBO would kind of ask me if I wanted to be the last and I would be like, no, no. But then this time I was like, I, I gave it a lot more thought. Um, and I kind of decided to because I really wanted to throw a few things into this season that I felt felt kind of um ambitious and almost like we would hit kind of a thematic vanishing point with a couple of things. And um, yeah, I just, I never wanted the material to feel stale or I never wanted it to feel like I was just re like kind of covering the same kind of points of anxiety in my life, you know, Mm -hmm. like whether it's like success or, 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 or having a family or, you know, like, uh, like, uh, honesty or like, I feel like I, I, 
I do I I I I I I mine pretty deep into my own personal anxieties like for the show and I I I just like I I I wanted to make sure that it wasn't yeah just like I wasn't repeating myself ever and yeah so we were really so I just wanted to throw everything at the wall for this last season and just kind of swing for the fences and um and I don't know if have you seen the last two episodes yet the no the sport, sports one was the last one I okay caught yeah I think how, how, how many am I missing well there's there's two left oh wow and okay. um yeah I think by the finale you know after you watch the finale you you I think you may understand why and you you, you may not be asking for more after that okay I kind of like it when it's just done I don't know Less is more is what I'm saying. I kind of yeah, yeah. I like, mean, the, yeah. The so, best so, thing so, Sopranos knew when to end and and uh, ended on the most brilliant note you can go out on. And Succession did really well. I I I, I, I kind of get stressed out when it's like you got to get into this and it's like ten fucking series. How you know how they keeping yeah, the juice going for this long? I kind of think. Yeah, you don't want to make like a you know like The Walking Dead. You know. No. Oh yeah. I, <laughs> There, yeah, there was one episode on that, I think around season two, and I was just like, fuck this shit, I'm done. <laughs> my my girlfriend wants to see everything out to the end, and I'm just like, I have a kind of a free episode rule. Mm. That if I've given you the length of a 90-minute movie after that, I think we can... We know to, I, I know personally to call it quits. Life is too short, and I'm already... Sure, sure. Got too many beautiful movies, and... Well, thanks for sticking with this for more than three. Episodes. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Your show's, inc- <laughs> your show's incredible. It's been thanks, man. Such a joy. That was me and John Wilson. That was a good chat. I had fun. Okay, that's it from me. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Joshua Eustace, a.k.a. Telephone Tel Aviv, for our beautiful music. Okay, and public service announcement. If you enjoy the pod, please give us a like and a subscribe. If you got the time, give us a quick favorable review my pod people keep on telling me that the more likes and subscribes we get the bigger the pod will get the better guests we will get and it all helps us boost us and fight through that bullshit algorithm and things like that but please do we always want to keep the pod free we always want all the episodes available and the bigger and more successful and evil we get, the better that will be for everyone. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening, and we will speak soon.